Well, good morning, everybody. For those of you who don't know me or haven't met me yet, uh, my name's Stuart Withers, and uh, I'm the minister up at Rochester. And uh, we're here doing the whole parish visitation thing. Anyway, that'll take care of itself afterwards, and we can have a little uh, chat about that. But for now, we're going to uh, turn to the scriptures and to uh, think upon those three uh, readings uh, that we've already read. So let's uh, pray as we begin our time. Uh, Heavenly Father, your word is a God-breathed word to us, uh, sufficient to make us wise unto salvation, uh, to rebuke, train, uh, to teach us the way of righteousness, uh, that we might be prepared uh, and able to undertake all that you would have us do as your people. And so, Father, we pray for this time now that indeed you would uh, teach us, uh, teach us your ways, uh, that we might be your people. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, In 2016, after the Presbyterian National Women's Conference, uh, my wife's email account got uh, lumbered with all these uh, bits of, well, attachments and paperwork, uh, and they were all evaluation forms. There was an evaluation form for each speaker uh, and each workshop that had been uh, undertaken at the conference and they were asking people to to send back in on what they thought of it all. There seems there's a feedback form for everything these days. I mean, even just last week I I, uh, happened to have to get a new computer and I've been getting used to that and setting it all up and everything I click and open is asking me for a feedback on it. Do I like it? Don't I like it? Get it. Rate this aspect of it. There's even, uh, you know, uh, the presbytery even send out feedback forms, don't they, <laughs> for parish visitations. And, 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 and they want to know what's going on and what it's like. Uh, perhaps like me, uh, on my computer, uh, perhaps you're thinking, I want to click no thanks and I have no part in it. Or, or perhaps you just rolled your eyes and, 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 and filled it in. Or perhaps you were happy and glad for the opportunity of providing feedback. I don't know. Or whatever your response was or whatever you think about feedback forms and evaluations, uh, it is helpful. It is helpful. Uh, it does help you to uh, reflect uh, and as we gather this morning and, and as we, we think about our life in, in, a, in a congregation, uh, your very presence here this morning indicates to me, at least in part, that, that you, there is a real commitment to the fellowship here, the congregation here. Uh, and I'm sure you have a, a personal concern for, for the life and health of the congregation. And this morning I want to spend a few moments pushing you to think about how you can play a part in the life and health of this congregation. And it comes to this matter of prayer and how each of us uh, within a congregation can, can play an active, vital role in the health and life of a congregation by the way we pray for various things. Uh, Ian Bounds once wrote in, in one of his books, uh, Without prayer, a church is like a body without a spirit. It's dead, an inanimate thing. Well, we've read those uh, few short passages from the Scriptures, haven't we? And Paul uh, issued an obvious 
invitation for people in congregations to pray and to join with him in prayer. In Romans uh, 15, I appeal to you, brothers, pray. Or in Colossians 4, devote yourselves to prayer. Bounds is quite right. Without prayer, a church is like a body without a spirit. And I'm sure if you think about it, just for a brief few moments, uh, what do you want for your congregation? I'm sure no one wants a congregation that's uh, drifting towards lifelessness. I'm sure no one wants a congregation that's um, just going through the the motions of life, perhaps a bit humdrum or or formulaic in, in its life and expression. We don't want congregation. We want to have vital and and real life together, don't we? As we live and and trust in the Lord Jesus week by week, day by day. Each of us can contribute to that life. Uh, We can each put our hands to the plough of praying prayerfully and thoughtfully about these things. And so there's three issues. Uh, On the back of the bulletin, uh, you see the three simple points, one for each of the passages that we read uh, this morning, that we've read. And and we're going to speak of prayer for the saints, prayer for servants of the gospel, and prayer for lost souls. They're They're the three areas we can, in each of us, engage as we pray. Uh, Yeah. And each of those areas contributes to the life and health of a congregation. And so we can all join in uh, praying these things. So the the first of the issues this morning is praying for the saints. And I'd encourage you to turn to the Philippians reading that we we read this morning, Philippians chapter 1. And we can have a look at the way Paul prays there and pick out a few of the things. As we turn to Philippians, it's possible for Christians to drift. It's possible for our discipleship to be one that's not vital and engaged. Uh, We can become personally listless and inactive in living out our Christian lives. Uh, And so we need to be praying for each other, praying for the saints, because Christian discipleship is not always straightforward. Have a look there at the way Paul prays in verse 9. In Philippians, Paul's praying for the growth for growth in Christian love, and we might think, well, well, Christian love—it's a basic discipleship kind of thing, not particularly special. Uh, but look at the way he prays here, verse nine—it's it, growing love, isn't it? He prays that their love may abound more and more, and our love is to be characterised in a couple of ways, isn't it? It's real knowledge. So love that has real knowledge and real discernment. Uh, And then in verse 10, he begins with a a so that. So that growing love, uh, it has an aim, doesn't it? So that each believer may approve what is excellent. And secondly, that they might be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Paul's praying uh, here, the way he's praying for the Philippians, zeroes in on the expression, the day-to-day living, their discipleship. And he's wanting them to grow in their love so that they will begin to do more and more love and that their love would be excellent and praiseworthy uh, and ultimately that they would be ready to meet the Lord Jesus. That's what he's praying there in those few verses. And what Paul prays for the Philippians, we can pray for each other. Praying for the saints. 
So many of our life situations uh, uh, that we find ourselves in are bewildering. I don't know about you, but, but living as a Christian is not always straightforward and easy. Relationships can be a, a tangled web. Families face stresses. Uh, there can be issues at work that are difficult to navigate and we're not sure what to say and do in different scenarios. And we know the Lord Jesus calls us to be people who love. And yet we can struggle to know what that looks like and how to give expression to it in in the places we find ourselves. Christian discipleship is not easy. And so we should be praying for each other. Uh, Remember, the first aim of this growing love is to approve what is excellent, says Paul. Uh, That's the ability uh, to test and to know which way to go, to know the excellent way forward as as we live for God day by day. And so pray that each other's love would increase in in, in real knowledge. That's the other one there. That our love would be informed by Scripture, shaped by God's expectations. You see, the the values and things we live with uh, can be mixed, can't they? I mean, we know and love the Lord Jesus. We, We know and love what he says to us in the Scriptures. And those values are our values, but there's also other messages we hear, don't we? The kind of love perhaps that that Hollywood promotes, not the kind of love that Jesus speaks of. The kind of love that a congregation can settle into as the status quo. Meeting our expectations but not meeting Jesus' expectations. Our love needs to be excellent love. It needs to approve what is excellent. It needs to be love that has a real knowledge informed by the scriptures, what God expects of us so that we can become the people that God likes. Likewise, Paul says our love ought to have discernment. Uh, That is, a depth of insight that that understands the implications of of what we say and what we do to those around us. Uh, We're talking about wisdom as we live, love that's wise. And knows how to respond in situations. Ultimately, we're praying for the saints in these things because we want to be ready for the day that Jesus returns. That's what Paul says there, doesn't he? Christians live with a long view. We know that he will return. The day of Christ will appear. And we want to be ready for that. Pure and blameless lives that are filled with the fruit of righteousness, as Paul says here. And so we can pray for each other to that end so that we'll be living ready for Jesus' return. And so our prayers, uh, so often our prayers in life uh, can focus on things like decisions, which job, which house, which car, or we can be praying about things like uh, wellness, recovery, stress, and those things are good to pray about. And our Heavenly Father wants to hear uh, those prayers. He delights in us depending on him in all circumstances. But often we neglect to pray for the saints in the way that Paul's describing here. Praying about the quality of our discipleship, living out the life the Lord Jesus has called us to. 
And so uh, here's a couple of ways we might end up praying. Prayers like this. Uh, Lord Jesus, please help my husband to, to grow in biblical love so his insensitivity is replaced with understanding. And Lord, please help me to be an encourager of the excellent way in him. See how these things work out? Uh, Dear God, I'm worried for my friend, her constant pain uh, with the arthritis that that is uh, developed in her body means she's focused all uh, her concern on herself. And she's not thinking for other people like she once did. Uh, Please help her to grapple once again with loving others. Uh, Father, I know uh, you want us to be blameless and ready for the day that Jesus returns. Uh, Please be at work in dot, 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 fill in the name, uh, so that they can establish Jesus' priorities as they live. Uh, And Father, keep me from pride in this, uh, that I don't don't want to be the one that's got a plank in my eye. Uh, Please help me to grow also be pure and blameless. You see, we can pray for the saints in these kinds of way. Set aside some time. Pray for the quality of the discipleship in each other. Pray for each other as we live for the Lord Jesus. The second issue I want to raise is from Romans 15 and praying for servants of the gospel. We pray for the saints, pray for each other, but we also pray for servants of the gospel. And we turn, well, we'll turn to Romans 15 in a minute, but there is a command that, Luke, that Jesus gives in Luke 10. And he actually commands us to pray We know that the harvest is plentiful, but the labourers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labourers into the harvest. And so on our list of things we pray for, we ought to be asking that there would be more servants of the gospel. There is much to do. And so asking the Lord Jesus for for more people to be raised up is a thing we should be doing. And then don't be surprised if you end up being the one who is the answer to your own prayer, serving the gospel locally. Uh, but in, verse, uh, in Romans 15, Paul has a, a little more to say, and, and there's some things worthwhile uh, noticing there in Romans uh, 15. So if you want to just turn to that briefly, uh, Romans 15.30, Paul makes an appeal to the Christians in Rome, asking them to strive together with him in prayer to God for himself. Uh, these, and these verses give away some helpful pointers of how we can pray for servants of the gospel, how we engage in praying for servants of the gospel. So if you notice in verse 30, I, I appeal to you, brothers. It's a plea to join in, to be on the team, to strive together or, or to struggle together. And the picture is contending, perhaps think rugby, rugby union, you know, and uh, being a forward packed in shoulder to shoulder in the scrum, okay, a coordinated effort together, and we are to strive in prayer. Now, Ephesians 6 gives away uh, something of the spiritual struggle 
that all Christians face, but all certainly uh, servants of the gospel face, uh, the devil is pleased to, to keep people away from the truth of, of the gospel. Uh, the evil one loves helping people feel content in a life without Jesus. And our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the devil and his schemes. And, and Paul urges us in Ephesians 6 to make a stand against his schemes. The devil is keen on drawing servants of the gospel into sin and crippling their ministries. Uh, the devil is uh, keen and loves holding people back, holding Christians back from spiritual maturity, uh, well, so that servants of the gospel would despair of ever seeing fruit for their ministry. So strive together in prayer against the schemes of the devil. And there's a little more here in verse uh, 31 of our reading. Paul says to be, uh, Paul asks that he would be delivered from the disobedient. Uh, The background to these verses is, uh, uh, to Paul's comments here, is his visit to Jerusalem. I keep knocking it, don't I? Which is unhelpful. Uh, The background is Paul's visit to Jerusalem. Uh, He's taken up a collection amongst predominantly Gentile congregations uh, and the Christians in Jerusalem are under great stress because of a famine. And so he's going to bring some physical relief in the form of this collection that he's taken up. But Paul anticipates when he arrives in Jerusalem with his collection that the unbelieving Jews in Jerusalem well, might stir up trouble for him. And so he's asking to be delivered from the trouble. Now, we're not going to necessarily face those particular circumstances, but there's a principle involved here. We should pray that servants of the gospel would be safe from the pressures that come from the outside, from the unbelieving community. The unbelieving community has little or no time for commitments that Jesus calls us to. And Christian leaders face increasing pressure uh, to cave in on biblical commitments. Christian leaders face increasing pressure on all kinds of fronts. Uh, You know the issues our country uh, are debating now at the moment. We could go to same-sex marriage. We could speak of Daniel Andrews and the euthanasia bill that he wants to introduce later uh, in the year. There are plenty of outside pressures. I was alarmed to discover uh, on a... I was reading... It's always good to read what your opposite thinks. So I, I was reading uh, an atheist gay activist webpage and... and this, reading his arguments and what he thought and why he thought it, and uh, which was interesting enough. But I discovered on his webpage a name and shame list. And there were about 150 names. Uh, and uh, these were his enemies, people that did not agree with him. And your minister, Philip Burns, is on the list. This is a couple of years ago, and I was thought... Why? Well, I'm not sure exactly how Philip's name ended up on his list. Perhaps Philip had said something publicly, I don't know. But there is outside pressure by the unbelieving world upon servants of the gospel and we need to pray for them. 
Notice also that Paul asks him to pray that his service, that is what he does when he gets to Jerusalem, will be acceptable to the saints. Paul is concerned about the potential upset and trouble when he arrives. How will his service be received? Now, I guess there could be a couple of fronts here. I mean, there could be the the Jewish Christians who are still a bit stirred up about the whole circumcision thing and the the core message of the gospel, the fact that Paul's preaching the gospel to Gentiles. There could be that trouble. But there's also the possibility of of maybe a racial tension. You know, the, the, the money that he's collected, he now brings to Jerusalem, but it's Gentile money, and these are Jewish Christians, maybe this the possibility for some racial tensions, and will they reluctantly take it, or will they take it at all? Paul asked for prayer that his service would be acceptable. Now again, there's a bit of a principle here. It doesn't mean praying that a minister would dish up what is nice and palatable, never rock the boat, but I think it means something like we, 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 we pray that sideline issues or, or secondary concerns would not divide or spoil the ministry. We know it's possible for, for personality clashes or irritating habits, poor choice of words, even with the best of intentions, to upset relationships, to, to bring friction and trouble. Uh, Sheep can misunderstand the shepherd, can't they? Get the wrong idea. Uh, We should be praying that those things wouldn't spoil the ministry. Pray for servants of the gospel. Pray that, that there would be a gospel agreement and wide acceptance of what God is doing through his servant. There's pressures from outside. There's a potential for trouble within. Pray for servants of the gospel. We can pray for the saints, pray for each other. We can pray for servants of the gospel. Last of all, uh, we should devote ourselves to praying for lost souls. That's the last thing. And we can all and each play a part in this. The Bible is very clear. A God has a heart for the lost. I think of Ezekiel and what he said in his day. As I live, declares Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but wish that the wicked turn from his way and live. And remember Jesus' own words, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. God cares for the lost, and God's children ought to have and share in the same DNA. God's desire to see the lost turn back to him. And we, as God's people, we have experienced and know God's love and grace. Even when we were dead in trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. Our lives have been radically transformed by the gospel. Saved. We are amongst the found. To the praise of his glorious grace. And yet for many of our friends and family, if you think about your own networks of friends and family, there are people among them who have not yet experienced your story in grace. Perhaps they've heard of it, but it's not yet their personal grace and it's not yet a walk they share in with you. If your experience is anything like mine, most of your unbelieving friends and family are decent, respectable people. 
I mean, the person I think of when I start thinking about this is my own brother, who, who is not yet a believer in the Lord Jesus. And he is a terrific fellow, affable, funny, loving. He's very kind to his wife. He's a better father in many ways uh, with his children than I am with mine. Decent fellow, but far from God. We all know John 3.16, don't we? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. We know that verse. At the end of that chapter, in John chapter 3, verse 36, is a telling verse. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. We must pray for lost Souls, I must pray for my brother and I urge you to pray for your friends and family who are not yet believing in Jesus. For as Jesus says, the wrath of God remains on them unless they turn back to him. And Colossians proves fruitful for us, a good place to think about, praying for lost souls. Paul says in verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. A general call to prayer, to be steadfast, faithful in praying. But he drills down in verse 3 and gets quite specific in a request. He says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. Paul is thinking evangelistic opportunity, open doors, God moments, and more of them, that God may open up the door for the word to be heard clearly by those who don't yet hear it or believe it. Now, I guess for Paul, that could his request could be answered in a couple of ways, couldn't it? He, he well, he could be released from prison and the physical circumstances could change and that would give him greater opportunity to, to speak with others in new and different places. But he actually doesn't ask to be released from prison, does he? could be answered that way. He, doesn't ask. he asks for open door moments and so it could actually be answered in a different way which is simply the people he encounters day by day in his imprisonment having willing and ready hearts and minds to engage in conversations about the Lord Jesus. So it might be helpful to us to think about it in this way. You know, life like a maze. And our friends and family who who don't yet trust the Lord Jesus in the maze, and life has many twists and turns and, and it can take different directions. But how about we start praying that God would bring them in the maze of life to that point where they hear the gospel in a believing way, brought to that open door moment, an opportunity to hear the gospel. Remember Zacchaeus in Luke 19, a chief tax collector in Rackbag, yet wonderfully he experienced that God moment, didn't he? Struggling because he was such a short man, lost in the crowd, but he was lost in more ways than one from God, wasn't he? Uh, Climbs a tree so he can see Jesus. Jesus walks by and enters into his life. Uh, And his life is completely transformed. And at the end of that story, Jesus says, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. 
Zacchaeus is found. The lost man is found. And faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. And our unbelieving friends and family are desperately in need of hearing that word, having it spoken into their lives that they might come to life, come to faith, and know the life and the grace of the Lord Jesus and that promise of eternity that we all share in as his people. Pray for lost souls. Ask God to supply those God moments to your friends and to your family. You can engage in this. And it's pretty easy, I reckon. Make yourself a bookmark and, and stick it in your Bible. And on your little bookmark, each time you open your Bible at home to, to read a bit from the Scriptures, there it is. Just have a little list of names. The friends and family that you would love to hear the Gospel in a believing way to come to faith in the Lord Jesus. Devote yourselves to prayer. Pray for each other. Pray for your servant, Philip, and other servants of the gospel. Pray for the lost. We, we can each play a part in the life and health of the congregation that we, we are a part of. We can each look forward to God answering our prayers, being vitally involved in all that he is unfolding and is doing. Uh, th- these are prayers according to the scriptures, the prayers that God answers. And he is at work. He is at work. He has begun a good work in you and will complete it. So pray for its completion amongst yourselves. He he raises up servants of the gospel to speak the gospel, to to nurture our faith and to call others to repentance. Pray for servants of the gospel. And pray also that God would draw to himself all of his people and that this building would be filled with those who are coming to faith in the Lord Jesus. God is doing his work. Pray that his work would unfold. Be a part of that. Join in. The church has always marched on her knees and God is always answering the prayers of his saints. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for the things that the scriptures stir us up to think about. Please give us all the grace we need to respond. Teach us to pray. And Father, we pray that in your kindness uh, we would see uh, the answers to the things uh, that we have spoken of this morning. That as we pray for saints and servants and souls, Uh, you indeed, in your great kindness, would answer our prayers and that we would see and know your work amongst us. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.